Hey guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Our goal is to foster understanding and curiosity. We ask that you listen with a humble and discerning mind. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Theology-ish. I am one of your hosts, William Berry. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. How's it going? Pretty good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, good. I see you're not sick anymore. Yeah, less sick. Um, as our listeners probably know, I had the flu for a minute there, um, and it was terrible. Well, probably the flu. It, it was probably the flu. Yeah. Maybe. It could have been COVID. Yeah, that was a fun couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I didn't, like eat anything for like 11 days because I had no appetite and was afraid of what would happen if I <laughs> ate something. I had like some crackers. Yeah. And like I drank a glass of milk, but there, it was bad. I yeah. I couldn't eat for several days and, and it sucked. Um, I imagine you weren't going to the gym like you usually no, do either, so that no. probably wasn't great was for you. I was out gym for two weeks mm. and... I just started getting back in this past week, and now everything is sore, and it's terrible. So That'll happen. Yeah. But I'm back better than ever. Sure. Why not? And Yeah. And ready to talk about theology. To talk about theology, because that's what this show is, not a show about me having the flu. It's a show about theology and theology-related things. And today's theology-related thing is Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which we've already talked about on this show, but because it's a good book, it took us a long time to talk about it, and we only got through chapter one. So today, we're doing chapter two. Two. Yeah, we've we've got all kinds of uh, multi-part episodes going up now. Um, last week's episode with with my friend Matt that took longer than we anticipated, and we didn't get through even half the stuff we wanted to talk about. So right. there is an incoming part two for that. Uh, the next episode that comes up is going to be part two of the Polycarp episode, where we're going to be talking about Polycarp's martyrdom. Because yeah. our last Polycarp episode was his epistle, and now we're going to do... And uh, depending on how this Life Together series goes, this very well may end up being five parts <laughs> if we decide to do a, a chapter a part. Um, we'll see how this episode goes, though, and if we can get through more than a chapter in an hour. Well, let's, uh, let's try, man. Let's yeah. Let's go for it. Let's, let's do it. You want to remind our listeners what Life Together is and who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was? Uh, well, if you want to know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, go back and listen to the Dietrich Bonhoeffer episode where we talk all about who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was and the things that he did and the cool guy that he was. Um, basic summary, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor author and theologian in the 20th century and notably was a German pastor. And uh, if you know anything about Germany in the 20th century... Uh, the mid-20th century. Yeah, right about... Specifically the, uh, the middle. Right about the 1930s to 40s, you probably know what was going on. Womp womp. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer did a lot of really cool stuff during the time surrounding World War II and uh, had a lot of really good stuff to say. And then after a little while of him continuing to do pastorly things and also being involved in a spy coup against the Hitler. Um, the Hitler. The Hitler. There's only wow. one. Uh, yeah, they... I mean, it's his last name, so there were there were several Hitlers. Don't worry about it. Okay. Anyway, yeah, after the, the main one. After that, they they kind of got him real dead. Um, he got hung. 
Yeah, he got hung until dead in a concentration camp and uh, was martyred. Uh, now, something interesting is that uh, in the Dietrich Bonhoeffer episode, you pointed out that uh, you believed it was Hitler himself who who ordered his execution. And I was mistaken. You were mistaken. It, it was Himmler. Yes. Hitler's right-hand man, <laughs> whose name is the same as Hitler's, except it's Himmler instead. It, like, if you were playing a video game, yeah. and there was a bad guy in the video game, and the bad guy's name was Borg, and Borg's right-hand na- man was named Morg, you would be like, bro. That's bad writing. That's bad writing. But th- that's what happened. Hitler had a right-hand man who was named Himmler. And Himmler, he he uh, ordered Bonhoeffer's execution, not Hitler. And but I, I also said that it was like the day before Hitler committed suicide. Which isn't quite right. It's not quite right. It was like within a week. Yeah. So it, I was close but wrong. Yeah, but uh, regardless, it was still like basically Hitler's right-hand man who who called for his execution. Uh, very high-ranking Nazi uh, leader. A good person to be hated by. Yes, yes it is. Um, so I like Dietrich Bonhoeffer for lots of those reasons because he was a cool guy. Life Together is a book that he wrote, if I am not mistaken, which I could be, but if I am not mistaken, circa 1936, but was not published until the 40s. Um, I'm not sure if it was published before or after his death, but I know it was published a good few years after it was actually written. Um, More or less, though, it's a little hundred-ish page book that he wrote about Christian community and life together within the church and within fellowship uh, of Christians and what that ought to look like and how it ought to be done. Uh, and it's a it's a sweet little uh, little little writing of his on on that subject matter. You you got anything to to say before we we just move on and jump into it or um in this little work of his he is identifying problems that he sees in the church and how church is done and the Christian life is done. And he is offering fixes for it. Um, You can throw a rock and hit a non-denominational church with a coffee shop in the foyer that's in an old strip mall where the pastor says, we just want to, like, do life together, bro, because, like, church isn't just a place to meet on Sundays. It's a place for us to, like, be together and have community, you know? And Bonhoeffer was identifying the same problems that that barefoot pastor is identifying. But better. But he was doing it more better, and instead of his solution being, let's have a coffee shop where people can come and hang out in the middle of the week, he's like, no, no, there's a way that we can structure our lives around scripture and around prayer and around uh, community with other Christians, and we can... Do Christianity in a way that is intentional and community-focused, and it will fix some of these problems that he's noticing. Is that a fair? Yeah, I like think so, fair? yeah. And uh, I know one of the things you pointed out in the last episode when we were talking about chapter one, which is aptly titled Community, uh, Luther—I keep calling him Luther, man. I gotta stop doing Freudian that. Freudian slip. Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer. Was Lutheran. Yes, uh, in that chapter pulls from the long tradition of the Lutherans poking jabs at monasteries and monks, Mm -hmm. which uh, you were not a very big fan of. Um, I like monks. Yeah, you... I like the monastery. You reckon we're going to see more of that moving forward, or... Um, We might come up... There were other places where he points at problems in the church, and... He's like, this is a problem in the church, and we need to fix it. And it's like, well, buddy, this is a problem because Luther made it one. <laughs> but that's fine. It's still a problem. And um, I do appreciate that Bonhoeffer offers ways to fix these problems that are not just 
well, we should just have monasteries again, bro. Yeah, because that's that's not going to work. Now, this is actually a good time to to put out a little bit of an announcement. Uh, one of those guests that we had lined up to come on this year uh, will be coming on here in just a couple of short weeks, um, as long as things work out as we have planned them. And... And he uh, he grew up in a Lutheran tradition, and we intend to discuss the Lutheran tradition in in greater detail. Now so, he's he's not Lutheran anymore. No, but he does know more about Lutheranism than we do because neither of us are. Yeah. Lutheran. So if you want to so. know more about Lutheranism and the tradition that Bonhoeffer was a part of, that will be a great opportunity to do that. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that episode here in a few weeks. So uh, let's get into it, man. Let's go for chapter two of Life Together. Yeah, let's just uh, jump into it, start reading some stuff. Jump into it 20 minutes after talking about... (laughs) Ten minutes. Okay, let's... We've got a whole 50 minutes. All right, jumping in right into it after a 10-minute preamble. Yeah. All right, let's go. Sweet. I guess uh, you want me to just go for it then? Yeah, man. Whatever whatever you uh, have in mind. Well, jumping into chapter two here, this this chapter is titled The Day with Others. You want to take a stab at what that's about, William? Uh, uh, Spending time with other people? You'd be right. Yes. Do I get like a point? Uh, you get another donut. Okay, sweet. I mean, I bought the donuts. Yeah, you did buy these donuts. And (laughs) (laughs) thank you for giving me permission to eat the donuts that I bought. You're welcome. Um, Anyway. (laughs) All right. Um, let's read out of page 43. This is, uh, if you are following along, William, the paragraph right in the middle of page 43. For Christians, the beginning of the day should not burden, should not be burdened and oppressed with besettings concerned for the day's work. And the threshold of the new day stands the Lord who made it. All the darkness and distraction of dreams of night retreat before the clear light of Jesus Christ and his wakening, Lord, wakening word. All unrest, all impurity, all care and anxiety flee before him. Therefore, at the beginning of the day, let all distraction and empty talk be silenced, and let the first thought and the first word belong to him, to whom our whole life belongs. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Ephesians five fourteen. Ryan, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? I go to the bathroom. The first thing I usually do is I roll over, and I turn off the alarm that's on my phone. Yeah. And then I end up picking up my phone. Yep. And then I end up looking at my phone. Mm-hmm. And looking at the news and other things. That's which, a uh, good way to get your spirits <laughs> down. The beginning of the day should not be burdened and oppressed with the besetting concerns for the day's work. Hmm. Hmm. Oof. That's my bad. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> you got me, Bonhoeffer. You're right. Shouldn't start my day by looking at the internet. And I mean, I, I think most of us are probably guilty of that. I know I am. Uh, He's right, though. Yeah, that's that's how I start my day most days, too, is uh, you, you turn the old alarm off and then you pick up your phone and go, okay... What are all these notifications who messaged me in the middle of the night from Europe? Because I have that happen sometimes. Um, uh, what's what's the news for today? What's the weather look like? Yeah, and like in 1930, 1936, when he's writing this, you wake up and I, I guess you sit down and think about where you're going to plant your potatoes or <laughs> yeah. what work needs to be done at the factory or whatever. Yeah. And uh, that's bad. You shouldn't be doing that first thing in the morning. Well, actually, 
you're Bonhoeffer when this is being written, your your day probably it looks like uh, waking up and hoping there aren't Nazis there to arrest you. Yeah, yeah. You, you wake up and you're like, oh man, sure would suck to get arrested by the Nazis. Bonhoeffer says, don't do that. Don't worry about. Don't the worry Nazis. about the Nazis first thing in the morning. You can think about that later. Yeah. So I just I liked that paragraph because that that also did kind of. Yeah, that one got me. Ouch, oof, owie, my habits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else to say about that, or should we move on? Uh, let's let's keep on moving. All right, you you got something? Let me see here. Uh, my next note is on page 44. Perfect. So almost the next paragraph. Okay. Um. With remarkable frequency, the scripture reminds us that the men of God rose early to seek God and carry out his commands. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and Joshua. The Gospels, which never speak a superfluous word, say of Jesus himself, In the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and prayed. Some rise early because of restlessness and worry. The scripture calls this unprofitable. It is vain for you to rise up early to eat the bread of sorrows. But there is such a thing as rising early for the love of God. This was the practice of the men of the Bible. I really like that verse, which is out of uh, Psalms 127, verse 2. I really like that verse. Because <laughs> that, I don't know if it's just me, that sentence goes hard, man. <laughs> that goes hard. It is vain for you to rise up early. To eat the bread of sorrows. Imagine if we still talked like that. Right? I got the this donut of sorrow, bro. I wish we still talked like that and wore like cloaks and, and tunics and stuff. That'd be sick. Be the change you want to see in the world. Go buy a tunic. <laughs> Go dress like you're in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Could be. It, it could be kind of cool. Right? Like, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We're already married. We don't have to worry about scaring off the ladies. That's true. We already have ladies. That's very so true. So we can dress like weirdos. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to get a Gandalf hat that's real pointy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to be what I wear every day. It's going to be baller. <laughs> Back to Bonhoeffer. Back to Bonhoeffer. Um... This is a problem with modern time. Modern times, we have these things called light bulbs. We do. So when it gets dark, I don't have to go to bed. I can stay up as late as I want. Last night, I stayed up until about 12.30. Why, you may ask? Because I wanted to. I was playing Minecraft. Oh, you finally getting back into that? Yeah, yeah. I've Good been, for you. I've been enjoying Minecraft since I've had the flu because I called out of work for a day or two and just lounged on the couch and was trying to get over it, and I ended up w- wasting that time playing Minecraft. Not reading Tisk Tisk. Yeah, it's fine. I read a lot last year. That's, so that's true. Taking a little break. Just a little break. Anyway... Because of modernity and light bulbs, it's really hard for me to wake up early for the day and get enough sleep. Because we, mm. having meat suits, human bodies, we, we don't just have meat suits. We are meat suits. We are the meat suit. You are the meat suit. You have to take care of it, and part of taking care of it is getting enough sleep. Yeah. And... By golly, that's a lot harder when I can stay up until 1 or 2 in the morning. Yeah. And then I have to wake up by 8 o'clock to go to work. There's no way in heck that I'm going to be waking up at 6 to spend time in prayer if I'm staying up late. Yeah, I mean. So you heard it here first. Thomas Edison was inspired by the devil himself to rob us of prayerful mornings. Oh. There you go. Not where I thought you would go with that, I'm going to be honest. Well, I'm, I'm going to make it a conspiracy from Satan. Alexander Graham Bell worshipped Satan. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is unrelated, but not entirely unrelated. Okay. 
Phosphorus. Yes. Is an element. It is. And chemistry knows about elements, right? Chemistry got started in part because people that, you know, worshipped Satan and did alchemy were trying to do magic. Mm. There was one guy in particular who uh, he thought that he could make gold by doing magic. Yeah. And one of the things he tried to do to make gold with magic was boiling his urine. Oh. And urine has a lot of phosphorus in it. So Mm. he boils his urine, the liquid dissolves off, and now he's left with like this whitish, yellowish, powdery rock. Yeah. And he's like, what's this? It's phosphorus. That's not And that starts, that gets chemistry rolling. So chemistry and science is of the devil. Oh, you heard it here first. And I'd Uh, take a bullet for that. Science is of the devil, and so is the three-name science man who shall not be named. Yeah. So take that, science. I'm... The thing about phosphorus and and, uh, how chemistry gets started with... Yeah. Alchem- alchemical occultic practices. That's true. That's yeah. Real history. Um, I, I don't think that science is yeah. of the devil. I'm trying to be funny. Well, science comes from the Lord. So, amen, amen. It's a good thing. Um, omniscience, or as you usually hear it pronounced, omniscience. omniscience. <laughs> but it's spelled omniscience. It is. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, what I'm trying to say is. I think Bonhoeffer's right that we should spend time in the morning in prayer, and in our modern context, that's increasingly hard to do, because it's increasingly hard to take good care of your body that you have to take good care of, and get enough sleep, and be awake in time to go do the uh, nine-to-five thing. I'll take it a step further than Bonhoeffer do and it. say, we all need to pray more, period. It's true, uh, but I don't know about you. My prayer life is pretty inconsistent. Um, you still doing the the three Lord's prayers a day? Uh, I no, but I I do. So there was a while there where yeah. um, my prayer life kind of ballooned to a, an unmanageable level, mm-hmm. and then it ended up kind of collapsing in on itself. And lately, it's for like the past year or two, my prayer life has mostly consisted of the Lord's Prayer and the Jesus Prayer, which is Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on yes. the center. Um, and those are, unless I have a specific thing mm-hmm. that I've got like going on, that's pretty much my prayer life <laughs> right now. Yeah, it so has been for about a year. Um, I've still been doing three, three hour fathers a day. Personally, uh, pretty consistently, I, I've and consistently do one ish. Yeah, let's put it like. Um, that. But I'm gonna be honest; that's most of my prayer life. Y- you know, I I'll pray at church after worship rehearsal because we do that, or I'll pray at a meal when I'm out with my church friends or uh, at small group. But by golly. I suck at praying just on my own when I sh- ought to pray more. That, that's a struggle. Um, so as much as Bonhoeffer is saying, start your day with prayer, I'm saying, just pray more. Just do it. Yeah. Uh, but if you can hold off on checking Instagram for five extra minutes mm-hmm. and saying our father real quick, I, I think that'll be mighty fine for you. Um, yeah. Not too long ago, I, I was on a a call with some friends of mine because they live far away. Yeah. So we, we were doing like a FaceTime call. And you moved to Ohio. It's true. We were doing a FaceTime call and talking about uh, Jesus stuff. And at the end, they were like, would someone want to pray? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I started to pray, you know, the, the normal kind of thing that you'd pray at the end of a, 
conversation about Jesus with yeah. your Christian friends. And, you know, thank you for this time of fellowship. Thanks uh, for this day. Thanks for this day. Um, help us to take these things and apply them to our lives. And to my surprise, as I was praying this, it ended up morphing into the Lord's Prayer. And by the end of it, I was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I was like, oh, that's a... Weird. By golly, that's a, a mighty fine way to end a prayer, but... Uh, that's an odd thing to do. <laughs> it, it was in, it was interesting yeah, and surprising that that was where the prayer went. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense, because that's, that's what my prayer life looks like, oftentimes. Anyway. Yeah, so... We spent a lot of time just on that one thing. Um, yeah. So let's let's truck along here, but pray more. Um, and pray in the mornings. The paragraph after that, common devotions in the morning should include scripture reading, song, and prayer. Different fellowships will require different forms of worship. This is as it should be. A family with children needs a different devotion from that of a fellowship of ministers. And it is by no means wholesome for one to be like another, or for a company of theologians to be content with a family devotion for children. But every common devotion should include the word of Scripture, the hymns of the church, and the prayer of the fellowship. We shall speak here of these elements of common devotion. So, he's saying, look, you need to meet with other Christians— you need to be aware of the needs of the kinds of Christians that you're meeting with, and the devotion that you do ought to reflect the people that the devotion is for. That said, it should always include these elements. So, mm -hmm. in, we have regular church on Sunday, right? Yeah. And then a lot of churches often have like a youth program Yep. on Sunday morning, and then they have a like a, a kids program yeah. and then they have like a nursery program and sometimes that nursery program looks like just watching veggie tales sure and sometimes the kids program looks like uh throwing whipped cream pies at each other and you know listening to the top 40 and whatever. Yeah. And sometimes the youth program looks like you might actually read the Bible a little bit there. Or watch like a video or sermon. Or watch like a video sermon or something. I don't know. And then we've got the Big People Church, and that's where it's like mm -hmm. we have all these elements that Bonhoeffer identifies. We have scripture, we have yep. prayer, we have hymns. But Bonhoeffer's saying, no, 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 no. Just because the kids' service doesn't need the same level of depth of the scripture as a group of theologians would. They still need to have the scripture present. Yep. You still have to be having these three elements of scripture, hymns, and prayer at your devotional times. So he's right. And when we end up segmenting church by age group like this, on the lower end of age, it's, I've seen it before. That's why I'm yeah. Out. I've seen it play out where one or two of those elements ends up getting dropped because it's hard to get five-year-olds to listen to the Bible. But if you're going to be meeting with the five-year-olds to talk about, to do the Christian thing, you got to read the Bible. Yeah. So anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. And I mean, most of us who have been in church for any significant amount of time have probably seen something similar to that. Um, unfortunately, not all ministries are uh, created equal. There are some really good ministries out there, and then there are unfortunately just some not so good ones. That's that's a reality of the church. Um, and you know, if I think a ministry is bad, but you like it, good for you. That's fine. Um, you look like you're about to say something that you're going to regret. <laughs> Not well. I'm I'm debating on if I should say something that I mean to be funny. Mm. Uh, I've all, I, I I feel like that whole uh, sciences of the devil thing. <laughs> I I'm afraid that's not going to land. Yeah. Um. So now I'm afraid to say something else that I think is funny that also might not land. I think you're fine. Okay. It's probably fine. 
we have to both like the same kind of ministry. If I don't like it, it's stupid and you shouldn't participate in it. I'm the arbitrator of what is and is not legitimate church. You know, just last week on the episode I joke. did with Matt, he, he brought up the Creation Museum by Ken Ham. Oh, the Creation Museum. And how Ken Ham kind of takes the stance that if you're not a young earth creation theorist, then you're not a Christian. Yeah, he he's pretty hardline on that. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the line of thought you just poked at a yeah. little bit. Just uh, if you don't agree with I, what I agree with, you're not a Christian. And, um, <laughs> I think that, well, we're going to do a, a second part to that yes. episode, and I'll get to say my piece about these things then yeah for now i'm just gonna say um i appreciate the heart behind what the creation museum do Mm. and what the people there do um but you don't like ken ham i like ken ham fine i think he's a faithful guy okay um if there's someone that it would be uh really advantageous to identify as a sex pervert, it'd be Ken Ham. Uh, for people, for people that don't like Christianity, yeah, he would be a really advantageous person to identify as a sex pervert. Yeah, and he's been in the public eye for like thirty years. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, and as far as I know, no one's made any indication that he might be a sex pervert. No, none at all. Not to my knowledge. Uh, I mean, he does have like. 15 kids with his wife so within that context maybe a little bit but um (laughs) just uh beyond poking jabs at every catholic family there beyond the confines of marriage he doesn't appear to be a sex pervert at all um as far as i can tell he's a, a faithful christian and um i think that the hard lines that he takes on certain things is a misstep yeah. Um it's not particularly pastoral and I get where he's coming from. Okay. Fair enough. Like, I I think he's a decent fellow. Well, let's let's anyway, move on here. We've back got, to Bonhoeffer. Yeah, we've got more more chapter two to read you here. You know what? I think we're gonna make it through chapter two today. I think we are. We're halfway through. All right. I'm gonna read the next paragraph because uh the next <laughs> No, because funnily enough, Just read all of chapter two. The next two paragraphs were two paragraphs I had quoted, so all right, <laughs> this kind of right. works out. Uh, I'll, I'll read these individually, and we'll talk about them individually. Uh, but this is where, as you mentioned in the last Bonhoeffer Life Together episode, he starts talking about how we ought to pray the Psalms as a church. Yes. And how he was not considering monasteries when he talked about this, and maybe he ought to. Um, so let's get into that. Well, as a Lutheran, yeah. monasteries are dumb. Yeah. So they don't count. But we need to pray the Psalms. Who's we? The church. Okay. Well, if we have monasteries, are they part of the church? Yes. Okay. They're praying the Psalms. Okay. But so are monasteries church... part of the church? No, because I'm a Lutheran. Yeah. So then it's like, oh, if we had monasteries, we'd have plenty of people in the church praying the Psalms. Yeah. But. So. Here we go. Anyway. All right. The New Testament laid emphasis upon speaking to yourselves in the Psalms and teaching the admonishing, teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms. From ancient times in the church, a special significance has been attached to the common use of Psalms. In many churches to this day, the Psalter con- constitutes the beginning of every service of common worship. The custom has been largely lost, and we must find our way back to its prayers. The Psalter occupies a unique place in Holy Scriptures. It is God's word, and, with a few exceptions, the prayer of men as well. How are we to understand this? How can God's word be, at the same time, prayer to God? So that's an interesting question he poses at the end of that paragraph there. How can it be God's word, but also be prayer to God at the same time? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a bit of a, an answer to that, which is Jesus Christ is God, but he still offered prayer to God. So if Jesus Christ, God in flesh, can offer prayers to God the Father, then can the word of God not offer prayer to God? Not just God and God in the flesh, but according to John 1, 
the very word of God. Yeah. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Um, and I think John would have a problem with Bonhoeffer calling the Bible the word of God. Mm. I think John would say, no, 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 no. Now, Christ is the word of God. That That's not just a Bonhoeffer thing. That's just a Christian thing. Like, today especially, everyone calls the Bible the word of God. Um, so, Or if they're particularly careful, they might call it the inspired word of God. Um, I'm a big fan of the idea that scriptures interpret scriptures, right? Mm, okay. The, if you want to know what Bible mean, ask Bible what Bible mean, and Bible tell you what Bible mean, right? If we want to know what's up with that snake in the Garden of Eden, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And Jesus tells us somewhere in one of the Gospels, he refers to Satan as the serpent of old. He does. And and I've got some thoughts on that, and maybe, that'd be fun for another episode. Maybe, because if you read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 carefully, Satan's not mentioned. No, ever. it is only ever referred to as the serpent. The serpent. Nothing so, more, nothing less. I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to take what Jesus says. Yeah. Serpent of old. And, and say, just okay. apply that. That's what's going on, because otherwise we just have a talking snake that has beef with Adam and Eve. Sure. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if Satan's the serpent of old, okay, I see that. That makes more sense. Sure. So if Scripture interprets Scripture, what do Scripture call Scripture? And Scripture do not call Scripture the Word of God. Scripture calls Scripture the writings. Yeah, or and the scriptures. That's how or it, it will refer to, to the Torah as the law, right? Because at the time it was the law. Uh, sometimes we'll see the law and the prophets, or the law yes. and the writings. Um, not the word. The word is Christ. Now, and the exception here, of course, would be the Gospels, specifically where Christ is quoted directly. That is the word of God because it's coming from Jesus Christ, right? That's well, that's different. Because if Jesus does, Christ my, is saying it, my question it, is: Does it call it that? No, it, not, if it doesn't, call not directly. It, it doesn't call it that. So we can say that these are the words of God. Mm. Okay, you could. I, I would want to add that little s. Yeah. Um. I I think that this is a a a problem that leads to. An inferior Christology, mm. which um, where it creates a problem when we call the Bible the Word of God because it robs Christ of that title. Okay. And if you take the Bible seriously, and you should, according to John 1, the Word of God is Jesus. There's no, you can't possibly read John 1 in good faith and say this is about the Bible. Yeah. Unless you're just n not very good at reading. Now, uh, um, let me be clear. All good things come from God. And yes. I'd, I'd argue that Holy Scripture, the Bible, is a good thing. Yeah, and, you know— So I, it I'm, is from God. I'm totally cool with calling it inspired. I'm totally yeah. cool with saying that it's uh, that God uh, guided the hands of men in, in writing it. But I—, I and. Yeah, and that's a little bit of a hot. This take. is me nitpicking at a thing that I've seen in the church, yeah, and that I have a little bit of problem with. Um, I have known people who read John one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and they end up taking a Bible, holding it up, and saying, "This is God." No. no. I, and I have known people Ooh. who read that, and they take up the Bible, and they say, this existed from the foundations of the earth. No. No, That's it didn't. bad. And, or That's they, a uh, heresy. Yeah. So then you end up doing a heresy. And we're going to do an episode in the near future where we talk about what heresy is. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one. But... Just wait until it, we it, get around to Heretics and Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. It, it, it causes a problem. And I can't fault people for getting confused. Yeah. Because if we constantly refer to the Bible as the Word of God, and then they read John 1, and it talks about the Word of God, and then they end up surmising 
wrong things. So the more correct term might possibly be the inspired word of God or, or the, the God's inspired How about works. Holy Scripture? Holy Scripture. Holy Scripture. Yeah. If you go back and listen to our podcast, <laughs> I almost exclusively refer to the Bible as Holy Scripture. Yeah. Because Christ is the word of God. Hmm. Um, Fair enough. Anyway, back to Bonhoeffer. (laughs) These are good discussions. These are these are good things to talk about. This is yeah. I I know that that's kind of a a hot topic, and people might get pissy with me, especially today. Especially like uh, Baptists really like calling the Bible the Word of God. Yeah. Um, People who and they intend to be doing something faithfully. Yeah. But they're wrong. Yeah. And um, when I was a theology major at a university, we had an exam. And part of the exam was a question. And the question was, you have gone to visit your friend's church. And the pastor talks about how John 1 is about the Bible because it's the word of God. The pastor asks you after the service what you thought. How do you politely tell them this was a heresy? <laughs> you don't. That that was a question on the exam. <laughs> was how is this heresy? And it was like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, back to Bible. Let's, let's keep moving. Let's let's go to the next paragraph. <laughs> All right. You want to read this one? Uh, what page? Forty-five. Top 45. of forty-five. Top of forty-five. This question brings with it an observation that is made by everybody who begins to use the Psalms as prayer. First, he tries to repeat the Psalms personally as his own prayer, but soon he comes upon passages that he feels he cannot utter in his own personal petitions. We recall, for example, the Psalms of Innocence, the bitter, the imprecatory Psalms, and also in part the Psalms of the Passion. And yet these prayers are words of Holy Scripture, which a believing Christian cannot simply dismiss as outworn and obsolete, as early stages of religion. One may have no desire to carp at the word of the scriptures, and yet he knows that he cannot pray these words. He can read and hear them as the prayer of another person, wonder about them, be offended by them, but he can neither pray them himself nor discard them from the Bible. Hey, look at that. He referred to it as Holy Scripture. (laughs) The right way. (laughs) Yeah, so... Can you relate to this probably yeah, as um, much as I do? There, There's a psalm somewhere in the psalms where someone, presumably David, writes about uh, wanting to take the ch- the newborn babies of the Philistines and dash them against rocks. Mm, yeah. It's, that's a... That's a heavy one. Whew. Well, if I sit down with the psalms with the intention of praying through them and I get to that, it's like, oh... Do I want to pray that? Do I want to pray for the strength <laughs> to use babies like water balloons? <laughs> is that is that what I'm praying for? Yeah. David, are you okay, buddy? <laughs> what's what's you going right? on? <laughs> yeah, so I can definitely uh, empathize with that experience. Yeah, I... I can relate to what Bonhoeffer's getting at there, and uh, we ought to be better about that because the Psalms are a good thing to pray because what are the Psalms if not a collection of prayers and hymns and poetry and uh, good things for the for the faith? Yeah, and uh, we have this problem in Ooh. the modern church. And Bonhoeffer is pointing at its uh, beginnings. It's gotten worse. Um, So they're replacing psalms and traditional hymns with, uh, how shall we say, more contemporary stuff. Yeah. And I'm going to go out on a limb. I have no evidence to back this up, but I'm going to say since 1936, it's gotten worse. Probably. Um, 
how many of the songs that your church sings, not your church, but to everyone listening, yeah, how many of the songs that your church sings were written in the past five years? Ooh. How many were written in the past 10 years? 50? 100? 200 years? What's the oldest song you sing? Is your soul different than the souls of people 200 years ago? Do you need something different than people 200 years ago needed? And if we go further back, what about 1,000 years? What about 2,000 years? What about 2,800 years, which is where we get the Psalms? Is your soul that different than theirs, that you need different hymns? These hymns have worked perfectly well for 2,800 years. I don't think that anything Hillsong United has ever produced will make it another 50. So, if you're a worship pastor listening to this... Hey, Jesse. (laughs) Make your choices for your arrangements accordingly. That's... My advice, but I'm not a worship pastor. Well, so this is uh this is know. gonna be a great conversation for when we actually get Jesse on here to talk about you worship. Think he's gonna use a, a voice changer for that episode? Maybe. <laughs> he <laughs> might. He did that for the blooper episode, so now I'm wondering. Well, if we that have... might not be Jesse. You don't know. You're right. It could have been someone else. <laughs> it could have been. Golly. My whole world is turned upside down. Anyway, yeah. Anything that uh, you'd like to say about this this uh Last there order? are a lot of things I could say about that, but say for some the sake of, of time... No, forget time, man. Time's made up. Time's an illusion. Clocks Brother, man, we've real. got like 15 minutes, and we're not even halfway through this chapter. Oh. Well, we could do chapter two, part two, no. man. <laughs> we could just keep doing life together until we're sick of it. We've got to do something other than Bonhoeffer we on can... here, man. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep moving. Whenever we get Jesse on here to talk about worship, that'll be a great opportunity. I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to say fewer words. I, I have a lot of thoughts. And that's a good problem to have. I'm going to keep my thoughts podcast. to myself. All right, um, my next reference isn't all the way until page 51, so do you have something before then you want to point out? No, my next reference is like page 60-something. Okay, I'll, I'll get to page 51 here then and uh, start at the... The paragraph at the top. As a whole, the scriptures are God's revealing word. You might have problem with that, William. Only in the infiniteness of its inner relationships and the connection of the Old and New Testaments of promise and fulfillment, sacrifice and law, law and gospel, cross and resurrection, faith and obedience, having and hoping, will the full witness to Jesus Christ the Lord be perceived. This is why common devotions will include, besides the prayer of the Psalms, a longer reading from the Old and the New Testament. How do you, how do you feel about that first sentence? Uh, I, I want to add a clarification. All right. Okay. It's fine to call the Bible the Word of God. I don't think that that is in and of itself heretical. Mm. Um, it's fine. It's not the clearest way of speaking, though. And it can lead to uh, misunderstandings that are heretical. Okay. And people will end up clinging to those misunderstandings when you go to offer correction. Yeah. And then we get fractures in the church mm-hmm. and problems and uh, people that are trying to be faithful. And I'm glad that they want to be faithful. But they they end up getting their wires crossed. Yeah. So it, it's not that saying Holy Scripture is the Word of God is a heresy. It's that it sets the table for heresies, and f- because it's a, a sloppy phrase. Yeah. It's sloppy. Okay. Right? And sloppy is not the same thing as heresy. No. But it does open the door just a little bit, and. Uh, part of theology and doing theology well is being very precise Mm. and very technical. Um, Duke University does not have a pre-law program, but they do have a law program. 
instead of pre-law, what they will have students do is take theology. Because if you do theology and do theology well, you are going to be very good at being precise. Mm. Um, and it will help you when you go to practice law. Yeah. So that that's all. Okay. Well, is, is that fair? That's fair enough. You, yeah. You want to be precise in your language. Yeah. All right. Either way. Either way. That that paragraph as a whole, I, I like what that gets at. Which is the idea that the the greater truth that is revealed through Jesus Christ cannot be understood or comprehended without everything surrounding it, without the entirety of Scripture. The story of Christ can't be understood in its fullest, deepest truth. Yeah. We need all of Scripture. Absolutely. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, and... <clears throat> this is kind of what I was poking at earlier with scripture interpret scripture. Yeah. Um you could pick up Leviticus and read Leviticus and say, "Yep, I understand this whole Abraham Abrahamic religion thing. I read Leviticus." But you don't. You wouldn't understand it. You know? Yeah, You might get Leviticus, but you don't understand what Christianity is about. You don't understand what the Jesus thing is about just from reading Leviticus. Yeah. It's not enough. You need the whole thing. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. My next reference is chapter 64. I don't know about you. Uh, I've got one on page 60. Okay. There are some destroyers of unison singing in the fellowship that must be rigorously eliminated. There is no place in the service of worship where vanity and bad taste can so intrude as in the singing. There is, first, the improvised second part, which one hears almost everywhere. It attempts to give the necessary background, the missing fullness of the soaring unison tone, and thus kills both the words and the tone. There is the bass or the alto who must call everybody's attention to his astonishing range, and therefore sings every hymn an octave lower. There is the solo voice that goes swaggering, swelling, blaring, and trimulating from a full chest and drowns out everything else to the glory of its own fine organ. There are the less dangerous foes of congregational singing, the unmusical who cannot sing, of whom there are far fewer than we are led to believe. And finally, there are often those also who, because of some mood, will not join the singing and thus disturb the fellowship. I'm one of those unmusical folk personally. Yeah. Um, but I, I've definitely observed, and this is a problem, I think, in contemporary worship sets, mm -hmm. especially when you have someone who's particularly talented, that it becomes a venue for them to display their talent mm -hmm. instead of them getting out of the way of the song and yeah. letting the song what it is, which is for the glory of God. Yeah. Um, so th that's a, a problem that Bonhoeffer identifies in 1936, that by golly, we're still seeing that. Yeah, and you I mean, know. sort of like you pointed out earlier with uh, old Hillsong United, uh, you know, I'm a worship leader. I play Hillsong United songs during worship sets pretty frequently. That's that's just a reality. I don't get to pick the songs, but that's what we do, and that's that's fine. But when you go back and listen to, like, the radio versions of those songs, what is more apparent, the inherent theology and deep understanding of the song itself or the very, very impressive vocal range of the person singing and right. the incredible control they have over their voice? Right. And I'm going to say a lot of the times it's probably the second one because that's what they put forward it, it's almost always the second one and they'll they'll dress it up by saying oh we want to do like good things for jesus and have it be good quality and hey um that's nice yeah i don't care um jesus doesn't care if it's better quality quote unquote he cares that you don't make it about you in St. Augustine's Confessions, he has a part where he's praying and he is confessing to God and he confesses 
that he struggles with the worship in the church. Yeah. Because he enjoys it more when the songs are sung well than when the songs are sung poorly. Mm. And he's confessing to God because he recognizes that that is sin. Yeah. It is sin for the worship to matter to you when it is pretty. Yeah, and, you know, I have had people in my life who, me doing, you know, volunteer worship, being a worship leader, um, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but I've had people... Do it. Throw them under the... No. I've had people explain to me that, you know, you want to sing well because when you don't sing well, it acts as a distraction. But on the flip side of that, if you sing too well, it will also be a distraction. And uh, some some worship leaders or pastors or whatever will take this approach of, like, you want to be right in the middle of the road, right? You don't want to sing too good, but you don't want to sing bad either. That way you can get out of the way of the worship and let the worship do the worshiping itself. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, I guess. My rebuttal to that would be, if the worship is bad because the person singing it and leading the worship is bad at singing— Maybe that's more of a problem with the people in the congregation than it is with the person leading the worship. Because they ought to be focusing more on the worship regardless of how talented the person leading it is at leading the worship. Um, If you want to see some really good worship... Listen to Gregorian chants. Well, yeah, that's a good place (laughs) to start. I do that frequently. Um, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Find the smallest, dinkiest, dirtiest-looking little church that you can, Mm. and pop in one Sunday. Just see what they've got going on. Yeah. I'll... Provided that they're not heretics... Yeah. I'll bet that their worship uh, will touch you if you let it, Um, and it's probably not going to be very good. But that's okay. It doesn't need to be. Good. Air quotes around good. Yeah. Because it might move you to tears, and they have one guy who can't hardly sing playing an acoustic guitar. And that might be a more powerful moment of worship to that one guy that can't hardly sing playing the acoustic guitar that's a little bit out of tune. That might be a better worship moment than having, like, the fog machine and the lights that Mm -hmm. flicker real good. Um I don't know. Give it a shot. Yeah. See what happens. Let's jump to page 64 here. We are running pretty low on time, so we need to we need to get through the the end of this here. Time is an illusion. Yeah, you're right. All right. Page uh page 64. I'm going to read out of that. Prayer, even though it be free, will be determined by a certain internal order. It is not the chaotic outburst of a human heart, but the prayer of an inwardly ordered fellowship. Thus, certain concerns will, re- will recur daily, even though they may perhaps appear in a different way. At first, there may be some monotony in the daily reoccurrence of the same petitions which are required of us as a fellowship. But as time goes on, there will surely come a freedom from a too individualistic accent in prayer. If it is, a, if it is possible to add to the number of daily recurring petitions, a weekly order or plan might be tried. If this is not possible in the common devotion, it is certainly a help in one's personal prayer times. Relating the prayer to one another of the scripture readings will also prove helpful for liberating the free prayer from the carapace of subjectivity. This gives support and substance to the prayer. Contrary to popular belief, I can read. (laughs) You sure about that? No, I'm I'm going to be sure like, about that. I'm going to be super honest with you right now. And I think probably anyone listening to this podcast for any amount of time has noticed. I suck at reading out loud like hard. I can read in my head just fine. I'm not illiterate. I can read. That's good. But as soon as I try to read out loud, it's like my brain turns into scrambled. Do eggs. you think you have like dyslexia or need glasses or something or you just. Well, no, because like if it's, if it was dyslexia, I'd have a hard time reading just to myself, right? Yeah. But I don't. It's I, just when I read out loud. I think uh, 
I think I'm a pretty good out loud reader. Yeah. And I, I credit that to spending some time doing drama when I was younger. That'll help, yeah. Because, you know, you've got the script, mm-hmm. and you're, as you're rehearsing, you have the script in front of you, and you're reading the lines aloud, so you're having to practice that a lot. I don't know. Anyway, um, yes, about yeah. Bonhoeffer. <laughs> yeah, he, he's right. Um, you do the freewheeling prayer thing. And as we've talked about before in, like, the the episode on the Lord's Prayer, you end up—if you can pray anything, you're still going to end up praying the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up repeating to yourself. Yep. And you do that day in and day out, these special uh, meetings. It uh, ends up feeling weird. It ends up getting monotonous. Yeah. But— uh, he offers ways to rescue it from the monotony. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, uh, um, I don't have any other sections in, in Chapter 2 that I wanted to point to, so if you have anything else... I've got a few more, but for the sake of time, I'll do one more. Okay. Uh, the the very last one I had, because uh, we are just about out of time here, which is unfortunate. I could talk about this all day. Uh, page 72. The noonday hour, where it is possible, becomes for the Christian Family Fellowship a brief rest on the day's march. Half of the day is passed. The fellowship thanks God and prays for protection until the even, even, eventide. Eventide, that's the word. <clears throat> it receives its daily bread and prays in the words of a Reformation hymn. Feed us, O Father, thy children. Comfort us, afflicted sinners. God must feed us. We cannot dare not demand this food as our right. For we, poor sinners, have not merited it. Thus, the sustenance that God provides becomes a consolation of the afflicted. For it is the token of of the grace and faithfulness with which God supports and guides his children. Thus, the scriptures say, if any will not work, neither let him eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 And thus, make the receiving of bread strictly dependent upon working for it. But the scriptures do not say anything about any claim that the working person has upon God for his bread. The work is commanded, indeed, but the bread is God's free and gracious gift. We cannot simply take it for granted that our work provides us with bread. This is rather God's order of grace. But human rights, I have a right to... No, you're dumb and you're stupid. Oh. (laughs) God demands the work of us but he doesn't owe us jack god doesn't owe us so much as a grain or a stalk of barley god doesn't owe us jack but he demands that we work for him and he is good so even though he doesn't owe us anything yes and that's that's the good part yeah which is even though he doesn't owe us our daily bread, it is his free and gracious gift that we receive it anyway. It is not because we do the work. It is in spite of us doing the work. And that's pretty easy for us to take advantage of or take for granted. Because sort of like you were poking fun out there, I'm, I'm owed my, my daily bread. It's my right as a human. And... and no, it's not. <laughs> Human rights. Well, yeah, I... <sighs> what does that mean? <laughs> who d- who decides what that be? Well. Other than the UN. <laughs> I... what, yeah. why, why does the UN... Okay, I'm, I'm going to get philosophy time. Ooh, all right. It's philosophy time. Rights, as the modern man conceptualizes them, are kind of a... Uh, they're almost a platonic form, right? So yeah. Plato has this idea of the realm of the forms where it's somewhere out there and it's... 
real. It's more real than what we have here. Mm-hmm. There's a thing that is the form of a horse. Yeah. Right? And all the horses that are down here, their material conforms to what it is to be a horse. Yeah. Right? So we've got the realm of the forms. And the modern man is like, there is a thing called rights, and they're out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they're real, and society needs to conform itself around these things called rights. Yeah. It's not real, though. Yeah. There's not a a realm of forms. And if there is a realm of forms, it exists within the mind of God. Yeah. So you could make an argument for rights from the... My note for for the listeners on that would be when you pray the Lord's Prayer and the prayer says, give us this day our daily bread, don't take that as God owes me my daily bread. Take it as thank you, Jesus, that you give me the daily bread in spite of the fact that I'm a sinful, horrible, awful human being. It's a request, not a... uh, Not a demand. Not a demand. So do with that what you will. We're a few minutes over on our usual time That's anyway. fine. So we've got to cut it here. Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed Chapter 2 of Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We'll be back in the near future with Part 3 of Probably 5. And uh, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a good time. I'll try to shut up a little bit more next time. I have. It's been so long since we last recorded. I yeah. have all these pent up thoughts mm. that I'm having to get out now. This next one's going to be a a doozy. Then, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, next time we might actually get through two whole chapters. It'll be great. Maybe. But thank you for listening. Please uh, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave us a review on whatever your favorite podcatcher is. And if you don't mind, share this with a friend. Or yeah. someone that you know that's vaguely interested in this kind of thing. And for any other queries or or any other communications, feel free to email us at theologyish at gmail.com. Yeah, would... send us an email that says, uh, I call the Bible the word of God all the time, and I think you're wrong. And then I'll email you back and say, heretic. And there will be nothing else in the email. And then It'll I'll send another entire... email apologizing for William's behavior. <laughs> Don't do that. Oh. I stand by. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for being right. Fair enough. Anyway, that's <laughs> it for this. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week for another episode, and we will see you then. And make sure to remember that chemistry was invent- invented by Satan. Science is fake. Thomas Edison gave you the light bulb to rob you of communion with Christ. See you next week. See you next week.